Hello and welcome to the Not Overreacting podcast. This podcast aims to tackle all things women's health, from periods to endometriosis to hormones to fertility, you name it, we're going to cover it. It's my goal that this podcast contributes to ending the stigma around women's health and talking about periods, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. In today's episode, I am speaking with dietitian Cindy Dabrowska, and I am super excited about this. She has so much knowledge into how to support endometriosis from a more holistic approach, incorporating dietary changes and lifestyle changes that may benefit your symptoms and treatment of endometriosis. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Stay tuned because it's going to be a great one. Hi, Cindy. How are you? Thanks, Sophie. How are you? I am good. Thank you. So we're going to talk all things nutrition, endometriosis, fertility. Um, so before we start, what is your endometriosis story? So I'm one of those unfortunate people who had symptoms very, very early on from my very first period ever at 12. I knew what a period was. There's a, there's a long story attached to that, which I won't go into at the moment, but I knew what it was. So when I got it, I knew what it was. And I knew two different versions. I knew my, my mom's story, which growing up was a lot of pain, uh, a lot of sitting at home for five days on the period. So she like very, you know, she, she very much had endometriosis and my aunt's version, who was like, no pain. She was super athletic, super energetic. Her period never slowed her down. And I told myself, I'm going to manifest that my period is going to be very much like my aunt's, not like my mom's, but unfortunately I didn't succeed. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, very early on 12 years of age was symptomatic. It was quite severe, very severe pain. Uh, I did a lot of like the usual sort of typical story you hear from endo warriors, a lot of bouncing between doctors and specialists and being offered all sorts of radical therapies. I have a very clear memory of being 14 years old, sitting in the doctor's office with my mom to my left and this older doctor telling me, you know, you can become pregnant and that will you know, solve your, solve your problem. Fast forward to when I'm a bit more age appropriate to actually start a family. And it's been difficult for my husband and I to do that. So um, definitely like pieces of, of typical things you hear in the end of population, like infertility and extreme pain and GI symptoms very much apply to my story. It took me 15 years to get diagnosis from initial, initial um, onset of symptoms. I had my surgery in 2018. I had a laparoscopy with excision and it was confirmed. So it was found on my left abdominal wall, my bladder, my cervix, uh, my appendix, and along my bowels as well. And um, I haven't explored like all hormonal therapies, or I should say conventional methods for managing endometriosis. Um, I was put on the birth control pill for, for quite a long time. And in my like young adult life when I was in, in university, and I do have to say it didn't improve my quality of life quite significantly in a time of my life where I just really didn't want to worry about anything else, but like my studies and all the typical things that a young adult worries about. <laughs> um, but I very quickly, I mean, I shouldn't say very quickly, but a few, few years in, I started breakthrough bleeding and my doctors only 
advice, only suggestion was to put me on a stronger birth control. And something about that just didn't sit right with me. I was already feeling a little off in my body and I decided I didn't want to go that route. It took me two years to not just recover my period because I didn't lose my period, but recover some normalcy in my cycles. My pain was extreme. I was extremely iron deficient. I was very constipated. Like there were so many bad things going on at the time. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, so many other chronic conditions are managed with diet. Why, why couldn't endo be the same? And so I, I went down the rabbit hole. I did a lot of researching. I, you know, went down multiple different strategies in terms of supplements and different types of diets and things like that. And then eventually I pursued, I started pursuing the nutrition path to become a dietitian. I uh, did my undergrad, then went on to do my master's degree. And then I really, you know, started becoming educated on nutrition. And at that point is when I really started seeing that symptom, a resolution that I was after and have been basically living uh, a really good quality of life um, since then. So that was quite a, a long story. Sorry yeah. for the, for the no, long story, amazing. but that's my story with um, Andrea. I think it's great that you've looked into the whole picture um, because often when you go to the doctors, they just say, oh, here's the pill or here's the coil or his hormonal contraception. Um, so what's your views in regards to, I guess, the more holistic approach to, to managing endometriosis? I love it. And I think it's, I think it's effective. And I think like, I will preface by saying that, you know, we're all, we're all different. We all experience endometriosis differently. And there are now documented ways that endo behaves differently in one person over another, right? Like somebody may experience symptom regression during pregnancy. Others may actually experience a more um, severe progression of deep infiltrating endo during pregnancy. Some people will even experience symptoms in menopause, 10 years into menopause after, you know, not having hormonal levels like we do as, as fertile young people and still experience symptoms of endometriosis. So it's, it's so bizarre from person to person. So anyway, I did want to preface by saying like, you know, everybody's different. And so the management strategies we used should be approached based on the individual, right? Tailored to the individual, but uh, it can be so so effective. And I don't know, Sophie, if you wanted me to go into a bit of detail around how. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, you know, when we think of the hallmarks of endometriosis, there are a few of them. Like, I think most people who have some understanding of endometriosis know that there's hormonal involvement, right? So not everybody with endometriosis has elevated estrogen, but we generally understand that it's a estrogen dependent disease. And so one way that, you know, something like diet can be really helpful here is so estrogen, it, it can come from multiple different locations. So one example of this is the gut. If you have a really imbalanced gut microbiome, uh, very likely you have a, a imbalanced number of what we'll, what we'll call for the sake of this podcast, opportunistic bacteria to commensal bacteria. So the opportunists obviously being less desirable, we don't want those to be out of balance. And a lot of those bacteria will produce something called beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that causes uh, estrogen basically to circulate back into the body. It doesn't allow it to come out with the stools. It just cycles it back into the body. So that has a lot to do with the way that we detox 
um, hormone among one thing. There's other things that go through that pathway, but um, hormone for for the purposes of this this conversation. And so if you, you know, eat a gut nourishing diet, if you eat a lot of prebiotic rich foods, if you eat a lot of colorful phytonutrient rich foods, if you consume inulin, if you consume green tea, other foods that we know are really good for these commensal bacteria, you can literally completely transform the gut microbiome, reduce the amount of those bacteria that are beta-glucuronidase producing, and now you're more effectively clearing estrogen through your stools. So, and that can all be done in just a few short weeks of diet. Another example would be something like phytoestrogens in the diet. I think a lot of people fear phytoestrogens because they think it's going to raise your estrogen. It doesn't work that way. So organic, like edamame, tofu, tempeh, other foods like barley, flax seeds, raspberries, figs, these are all phytoestrogen containing foods, and they can actually uh, interact with estrogen receptors, but not in the way that people think. So they're only mildly estrogenic in nature. So if you're an estrogen dominant person like me, for example, it would actually be advantageous for a phytoestrogen to displace my body's stronger, more potent estrogen bind in place of that receptor, driving my estrogen levels down, right? And because we know that us, that endometriosis is estrogen dependent, that's actually a really helpful thing, right? To have fewer estrogen, uh, less estrogen in circulation, but still having a normal amount, right? Because estrogen is also protective for so many reasons. Um, immunity, our immune system relies on zinc, uh, quality protein, vitamin D. It also relies on healthy gut function, all of which we get from diet, right? We get zinc, we get protein, we get vitamin D um, and what we eat transforms our gut. Um, inflammation we know is a huge hallmark of endometriosis. This is really at the center of, of endo, of, of what it's all about. It's a chronic inflammatory condition. And so by eating antioxidant rich foods, we can actually quench free radical damage. So we have a lot more free radicals that tend to circulate as somebody with endometriosis. These are basically unstable molecules. They're looking for a little, a little piece of themselves to satisfy their sort of unstable nature. And they get it by you know, removing it from other, from other tissues. And so antioxidants from food are what will quench those free radicals so that they don't go off searching for that, that missing piece um, in some kind of tissue throughout the body, right? And once it takes that missing piece, uh, it actually leaves quite a bit of inflammation and damage in its wake. Um, genetics as well, we know that's a hallmark. And if we know that somebody, for example, has a genetic mutation that prevents them from being able to convert uh, beta carotene form vitamin A into an active form retinol vitamin A, then you know you're going to have to be some, you're going to be somebody who's going to have to consume retinol in the active form in the diet because you're not going to be able to as effectively convert beta carotene into retinol. And so naturally, if your body's going to struggle with that conversion and you put more in of that form that your, again, your body struggles to convert, then you're going to set yourself up for success, especially because uh, vitamin A, I'm just using this as one example, it's a really uh, important anti-inflammatory immune supporting vitamin. And then of course, I mean, sleep and movement, we know movement is fantastic for cortisol and for uh, blood flow, which are also really important. So blood flow in particular, great 
um, hallmark of endo too. We tend to see reduced blood flow to the reproductive organs. It's also a risk factor for reduced blood flow is a risk factor for the development of endometriomas. So we know, you know, a holistic strategy like moving your body every day, it's really great for mental health. It's great for blood circulation. It's great for building up your immune system and normalizing cortisol levels. Cortisol is helpful when it's healthy um, when it's very, very low or when it's very, very high, it's not going to have um, very good benefits on the health. Uh, when cortisol is very low, it can actually uh, result in reduced immunity and uh, issues with blood sugar regulation. Uh, when it's high, it's usually a consequence of some kind of stress, not always, but um, some kind of stress. So obviously that's not going to be helpful because we know that there's a connection between stress and endo. Uh, sleep is when we heal. It's when our brain heals. So really important as well as a management strategy. Uh, I don't know what else you would kind of fit under that umbrella, but I do also think like manual therapies can be really helpful, like um, visceral massage or chiropractic or osteopathy. Um, again, for just supporting blood flow for um I don't want to go down a rabbit hole because I do have a tendency to to kind of talk quite a bit, but um, I'll just say this last thing about visceral massage. Like if you're somebody who who struggles from a lot of constipation or unpleasant GI symptoms, because maybe you have endometriosis along your bowels somewhere, then visceral massage can actually be a really helpful strategy, right? Because the, the therapist can actually, you know, uh, manually kind of move your your tissue around and and that's actually a, a recognized strategy for helping with things like um chronic recurring small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or constipation so yeah is there anything else you would include under I think under you just did an amazing way of just summarizing <laughs> everything like that was so so I interesting <laughs> I found it interesting so I know people listening will um so Briefly on diet, mm -hmm. we see so much online about the elusive endo diet and cutting out yeah. foods and getting rid of your coffee or, or things like mm. that. What's your thoughts on that? Is it just a fad or do you think it actually has something to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. I, I do want to mention before I kind of attempt to answer this question that there is no formal endo diet. Right? There's no formal established yeah. endo diet that's evidence-based that says eat exactly these things and you will see symptom resolution. The closest thing we probably have is the Mediterranean diet, uh, which is a, a, a very, very well-researched diet for inflammation. So for anybody who's listening, you can pull up the Mediterranean diet score and you can kind of test yourself, give yourself some scores based on things that you're doing really well um, according to the Mediterranean diet and things that you may, you know, want to incorporate in the diet. So what you're referring to, like if you hop on Google and, you know, type in what, what should I eat or avoid with endometriosis? Yeah, you'll see the typical like remove gluten, remove dairy, remove alcohol, remove caffeine, remove red meat, remove soy, even you'll find there, even though we've kind of gone through why that might not be such a good idea, especially if it's like organic whole food sources. So there is some research for some of these things and others are like completely misunderstood. So I'll try and give you as, as concise of a summary here as possible. There is a bit of research on gluten. So about 75% of people uh, with endo who were tested, or I guess had gone through research, it showed that they did see 
uh, improvement in symptoms in 75% of these participants who had endometriosis. Now, this isn't specified in that particular study, but I've always had a question about whether it's the fact that they've actually removed gluten or is the fact that they were eating a lot of white refined processed versions mm -hmm. of gluten containing foods, right? Because it's a no brainer. If you're somebody who eats a muffin or a white bagel for breakfast every day, and now you've swapped that out and maybe now you're eating oats with berries and hemp seeds, it's a no brainer that that's a significantly more nutrient dense breakfast. Yeah. And so is it the fact that you've just increased the, the nutritional value of your meal or is it the fact that you removed mm -hmm. gluten? The other thing is, uh, did they test this with, with whole, whole food source, not whole food sources, but whole grain sources of gluten? So instead of a white, you know, a slice of white bread, did they maybe offer the, could, could they maybe have offered the participants a sprouted grain slice of bread? Nutrition is significantly more available there. It's bioavailable to the body. So it'll be more easily accessible by your body, higher fiber, more nutrient density. So again, it's, is it the fact that gluten was removed or is it the fact that you've swapped in something more nutrient dense where you were consuming these these processed white refined versions of gluten. So I always kind of add that little that little caveat there with with that particular study. The way I usually do it with my clients is if they have some kind of interest in removing gluten because they suspect that maybe it's making their symptoms worse, we'll usually do it in a stepwise approach. So we'll say let's swap out all the white refined sources, let's swap in whole grain, a sprouted grain bread, uh, maybe a sourdough for example. Um, and let's just cut out like all the white crackers, the white breads, the white bagels, and let's just try and, you know, make the, the, the diet a bit more nutrient dense where gluten is concerned. And then if they're still finding that they're becoming reactive, excuse me, or bloated or something like that, then we'll try doing full, full gluten removal. And the other thing I'll say, just last thing about gluten is you could also be reacting to the gluten or it could be the FODMAPs in, so, um, FODMAPs or fermentable sugars, you could also be reacting to those as well. And you're, you're going to be more likely to get like GI related symptoms if you're reacting to the, to the FODMAP in gluten containing foods. Um, so in that scenario, I'll usually do a little test to see if the person's also, you know, responding to high fructose um, foods as well. So that's, that's the, the gluten piece. And with dairy, it's tricky. So dairy Dairy, poor dairy, poor, dairy has gotten like a really, really bad <laughs> reputation, I think, when it comes to inflammatory conditions. On the one hand, I think it's, I think it's really, really irresponsible and dangerous to just cut out dairy without any kind of formal guidance. And the reason why is because dairy products are extremely high in calcium. You can satisfy your calcium needs with plant-based foods. So don't get me wrong. It is quite a bit harder. Um, so really high in calcium. They're one of the best dietary sources of vitamin D. They're also one of the best dietary sources of probiotic. And so calcium, calcium and magnesium in particular, they're two of the most important minerals for muscle contraction and relaxation, which is why sometimes not sometimes, I mean, most of the time when you look into actual research around what helps reduce cramping or pain around menstrual cycles, 
you will notice calcium as a recommendation because it is really important for the, the contraction or relaxation of muscle, including that of the uterine muscle. And so most studies will actually recommend increasing dairy sources to improve pain. When it comes to endometriosis, there is this whole concept of molecular mimicry. So without going into like too, too much detail, in the endometriosis population, it, it can in some people cause something like something similar to an autoimmune type reaction. And when it does that, it does bring with it a degree of inflammation, right? Because anytime we have an immune reaction, anytime the immune system is activated to, to help us in some way, um, there is a degree of inflammation that comes with that reaction. And so for some people with endo, it can be or should be a necessary strategy to remove dairy for that reason. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a couple of posts on this on my Instagram page, but typically it's like, you know, if you have an autoimmune condition, so if you've already received an autoimmune diagnosis, if you have any indicator um, of autoimmune kind of presenting on the outside, so if you have psoriasis, for example, or eczema, then dairy removal may be a helpful strategy for you. Subfertility as well. So if you're not sure why you haven't been able to conceive and you've been trying for a year or more, then it may be a helpful strategy to pull it out. Again, in practice, I usually do this in a stepwise approach. So sheep and goat sources tend to be a bit better tolerated. So we'll start people there. And if we're really not getting the results we want, maybe they're still, you know, maybe they're not noticing a difference, then, you know, we'll either go back to just including dairy in the diet, or we'll try full, full removal and see if that helps. It can also be helpful for like heavy clotty bleeding. So it's also one strategy there, but then on the other hand, clots can also result from calcium deficiency. So you can, you can understand there's a very fine line between mm -hmm. where it's helpful and where it can be potentially harmful. We've talked a bit about soy already. Um, the red meat piece, I think it's, so that whole idea of cutting out red meat stems from the fact that red meat and other animal products contain saturated fats. Now it's, it's true that saturated fats in high amounts, if we consume too much of them, like we know that there's established science that it's not good for heart health, for example, not, not great for inflammation. However, again, we, we can't look at these foods in silos and just say like, okay, red meat has saturated fat. And so it's bad. It also has, it's also an amazing source of protein zinc, selenium, most meats contain, um, iron, B vitamins. Like there's such a long list of nutrients that we find in, in quality animal products, including red meat. And so I think that complete removal, and this is, this is in practice, what I've noticed, I, I see that complete removal seems to backfire on people. I think, you know, you tend towards extreme nutrient deficiencies. Um, this is not a dig at vegans at all. I work with vegans. I, I love the, the concept of a, a plant-forward diet. I think all of us should be consuming a plant-forward diet. Although I do say, I, I do have to say that anecdotally in practice, they're the ones who tend to have the worst digestive health. There is a lot of nutrient deficiencies there. It's just harder to extract needed nutrition on a vegan diet, especially when on top of that, you're dealing with chronic inflammation from endo. Maybe you're losing a lot of blood every month through your, through your menstrual cycle. It's just really hard to keep up with that. And then on top of that, you've got digestive issues. So that's hindering your ability to absorb nutrition as well. 
So um, where was I going with this? Saturated fat, it's, yes, if we're consuming too much of it, it can be unhelpful. However, I do recommend usually about, you know, up to two servings per week. If you're somebody who's very heavy on the, on the red meat, you might want to start, you know, coming down gradually over time. Like don't go from eating red meat every day to eating it twice a week. Like that's probably going to be unrealistic. And then I'd be concerned about how you're swapping that out in your diet. But one to two times per, per week, I think it's, absolutely uh, beneficial for the health. If we consume too much of it, that saturated fat can then turn into something called arachidonic acid, um, which is a, which can then be made into very inflammatory uh, prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are those chemicals that help with the shedding of the uterine lining around menstruation. And so um, we, we want to avoid that from happening. And then also Want, you want to make sure you're getting in enough of your omega-3s to, to help with inflammation. So, I mean, alcohol, yeah, alcohol is a toxin. So it doesn't matter whether you have endo or not. Nobody really should be consuming excessive amounts of alcohol. That's just plain and simple. So there's my long answer. Wow. That is so interesting. I absolutely love this stuff. I find it so fascinating. Um, I'm intrigued. So let's do something a bit fun. You're stranded on a desert island with five... <laughs> foods or supplements what five do you have to manage your endo Ooh, five foods or five supplements um oh man i think listeners aren't gonna like this one but i think the first one i'm gonna go with is probably beef liver okay just because of how incredibly nutrient dense it is although also eating too much of it isn't good for your health so beef I think I would go with beef liver though but you'd have to you'd have to limit how much you're eating every day um I think knack would be a supplement too that I would consider having with me it's just it's such an incredibly powerful um so it's a precursor to glutathione which is the body's master antioxidant it's really well tolerated by most people. If you've got a sulfur sensitivity, you may not tolerate it very well, but that's quite rare. Um, so NAC would probably be the second. Um, hmm. Next would probably be, I'd probably do some kind of leafy green, like maybe arugula or spinach or collards. Again, nutrient density. They're also a really great bioavailable source of B vitamins. And B vitamins are really important with endo because they help with energy. So they help convert our energy, our food from our food into energy for the body. There we go. I got it out. And it's also really important for that second step in the liver. So that the second step happens in the liver of how we can, um, how we uh, move estrogen through the body. So if you don't have enough of what we call methyl group donors, of which B vitamins are methyl group donors, then you're really going to struggle to move that estrogen. It's going to build up in the body and it's going to make you extremely symptomatic. It's quite inflammatory too. So some kind of leafy green, um, that's three. Um, maybe fish oil would maybe be the fourth. Great for blood flow. It's a mitochondrial support supplement for anybody who's fertility focused as well. And it's an anti-inflammatory. Although I don't think a lot of these things would hold up in desert conditions. <laughs> I'll just put that out there as well. Um, and hmm, last thing, hmm, I want to make it a food. What would be a good food? Ooh, maybe green tea. 
Okay. Um, green tea is amazing for the gut. So it feeds a really important bacteria in the large intestine microbiome. It's anti-inflammatory. It's blood flow promoting. Um, and it's also what we call uh, an aromatase inhibitor. So we can convert androgens like testosterone into more estrogen in the body. And so green tea being an aromatase inhibitor can actually block that conversion. So yeah, I might change that answer if I were to think about this a little bit more, but I'm, I'm going to yeah. stick with those. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so interesting to find out. I mean, realistically, you would never be actually in that situation, but it's just interesting to think about what's your top five. Um, so before we wrap up, um, what's your top three tips for anybody listening that they can apply to their diet, nutrition, lifestyle right now, who, who, mm -hmm. for those who may be listening, who maybe want to be proactive in this? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I do want to preface again by saying everybody's going to be a bit different. So everybody's management strategy is likely going to vary a bit. One, I think that, you know, applies equally to everybody is meal spacing and meal structure. So eating some combination of protein, fiber, starch, maybe having a little bit of fat built in there every three and a half to four hours is really important for stabilizing your blood sugars. When blood sugars become irregular, unstable with endometriosis, this, this does result in a lot of inflammation. And I won't go down that method of action because we don't have too much time left, but um, this is going to be the absolute foundation. If this is going to help with with hormonal balance. This is going to help with your migrating motor complex where your digestion is concerned. It's going to help maximize how much nutrition you get in, in your diet if you follow that structure. So that would be my first tip. My second tip would be, oh man, I mean, there's so, there's so many things I can think of. It would probably be to do um, some kind of, some kind of testing Endo is so incredibly complex and doing a bit of testing can inform your care. So this could be getting some labs done, even something that, you know, is seemingly unrelated to endo, like a cholesterol panel, um, having your blood sugars checked, your fasting insulin, uh, maybe you get a CRP, CA125, um, you know, if you suspect autoimmunity, maybe you get an ANA or some other like specific tests for, for autoimmunity, vitamin D. And this just kind of helps fill in the gaps of what we don't know uh, that may help you. So there's also a ton of like functional tests that are available, like something like the Dutch test. You cannot assess that, that second step that I was just telling you about uh, when it comes to estrogen clearance, you cannot assess that through serum the only way to assess that is through urine. And this is one of the strategies I've seen make the biggest difference um, in the lives of my endo clients. So I think doing some kind of testing, um, I'm not being very specific here, but just so you have an idea, get a, a complete blood count, get a complete metabolic panel regularly, check your iron levels, these these labs have a profound effect on how you live with endo. If your iron is very, very low, it's going to drive a lot of inflammation. It's going to drive heavier bleeding. 
and iron is really important for so many other systems in the body. So those will all become affected. So some, and I do have a blog post on this, so maybe, maybe you can refer your listeners there for a little bit more detail, but that's probably the second thing I would do. Um, we're, we're plagued with so many deficiencies and dysfunctions in the body resulting from chronic inflammation. So um, I think it's really important to understand, to understand your baseline. And I don't know, the third tip, uh, I don't know, it could be any combination of something like building a sleep-wake routine. Um, so your circadian training is so much more important than I think some people may think. So waking up with the sun, um, not being on screens before bed. I know we hear it so often. If you follow a lot of like health accounts on Instagram or other social media platforms, you hear it so much on repeat. It's almost like repulsive because you're hearing it so often, but it really is that important. Sleep is how we heal. It's also how we support our immune system and melatonin, which we suppress when we're, when we're on screens before bed is an extremely helpful antioxidant neurotransmitter like substance not only helpful for sleep, also helpful for egg quality, fertility purposes, blood flow, mitochondrial function. So it, it is that important. So some combination of getting good sleep and moving your body to support your immune system, help with mental health, help with cortisol, just because we know how important all those things are for living well with endo. They're not very unique tips, Sophie, but I think those are the three that I'll leave I think you it's with. great. I think it's great just to remind ourselves of the importance and actually explain the reasoning why. And I think that that's been super interesting today. Just, I mean, we've not even touched on fertility. We've not even had a chance to touch on it. So maybe we can do another episode in the future. But um, if people want to find out more about your services that you offer as a dietitian or want to just follow you on Instagram, which I would 100% recommend, because your Instagram is great. Um, where can people find you? So my handle on Instagram is endo.fertility.dietitian with two T's, no C. Um, my website is endometriosisdietitian.ca. I do have a TikTok, same handle, but I'm not very active there. And um, yeah, there's lots of information on my on my website about services. My blogs can be found there. Um, or my Instagram is where I'm most active. And yeah, you're welcome to send me a DM if you just want to say hello. If you found me through this podcast, that'll be awesome. Uh, so that's where you can find me. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Likewise. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, please be sure to follow us for more and review us. Uh, it really supports our podcast. Also, feel free to check out our Instagram page at Not Overreacting Podcast to keep up to date with all things related to the podcast. We hope you have an amazing day. Bye, guys. <laughs>